Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 14. I've got a passage to read to you, verses 25 through 33. You follow along as I read God's Word. Luke 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost? whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him, with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So, likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And may the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. There is a single overriding truth throughout Jesus' teaching in this paragraph, and the truth is the name of my sermon, Following Christ is Serious Business. Okay? Are you with me? Following Christ is Serious Business. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to have fun. (laughs) Okay? Oh, Lord, help us here. Do you like to have fun? Yeah, man. I mean, it's great. It's great to laugh. It's wonderful to smile. And I believe Christians can do that. I mean, we can have fun. We can laugh. We can smile. We can joke around. We can have a good time. Woo! Yeah, man. I believe in the joy of the Lord. I believe that God makes a righteous heart happy. I believe there's joy in serving Jesus. I believe the Lord Jesus himself cut up with his disciples. I think they had fun, man. It's joy to serve Jesus. And I love that. And I love preaching on God's grace and God's mercy and happiness in Jesus and the joy of the Lord. Woo! And you like it when I do that too. You know what, at the same time, I understand this truth, and it's a parallel truth. Following Jesus Christ is serious business. Now, Jesus is addressing two different groups of people in our paragraph that we're looking at today. Those two different groups of people are identified in verses 25 and verse 26. In verse 25, it says that there were great multitudes of people following Jesus. So this is a huge crowd. Thousands of people are out following Jesus. And then at the end of verse 26, Jesus refers to my disciple. So we've got great crowds and we have my disciple. Out of these great crowds will come the disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, 
There were large crowds following Jesus because Jesus was at the zenith of his popularity. Let me try to put it in modern day terms. Today, Jesus would be as popular as a movie star or a rock star. Because in his day, Jesus was the man. Jesus was doing things that no one else around town was doing. These people had seen Jesus heal the sick. Not many others could do that. They had seen Jesus raise the dead from the grave. Nobody was doing that. They had seen Jesus take just a little bit of food and feed thousands of people. Nobody was doing that. They had seen Jesus cast demons out of others and deliver the oppressed. And so there were great multitudes following Jesus because Jesus was the best show on planet earth. But it's clear that there is a huge difference between the great crowds following Jesus and those who have a personal relationship with Jesus as his disciple. So let me talk just a minute about what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What is a disciple? Well, technically, a disciple is a learner, an apprentice, a follower committed to be like his or her teacher. And Jesus is calling us out of the great crowds and into a relationship with himself where we are committed to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. He's calling us out of the crowds of people who are amused with Jesus for what Jesus might be able to do for them and into that group of dedicated and devoted followers who are completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus. Jesus was not, and Jesus is not, so desperate just to have these huge crowds following him, no matter the depth of their commitment. Rather than compromising the truth, Jesus was willing to see the crowd thin out a little bit. Because here's the deal. Jesus never recruits followers under false pretense. I'll never forget a a conversation I had with a a guy who served two stints in Vietnam. He said, Will, he said, I was 18 years old when I was recruited into the Marines. And uh, the recruiting officer who uh, recruited me, uh, he told me all the good things about being a Marine. The cool uniform I was going to wear and how popular I'd be and how cool I'd look and how the chicks would dig me and all that kind of stuff and all the great things that come along with being a a Marine. Here's what he didn't tell me. He didn't tell me there was a thing called boot camp. (laughs) He didn't tell me that I was going to have to leave my family for extended periods of time and not see them. Nor did he tell me there would be others who were firing live bullets at me trying to kill me. (laughs) He didn't tell me those things. He only told me the good things. But church, I want you to know the Lord Jesus never recruits followers under false pretenses. He wants us to know up front what it's going to take to follow him. He wants us to know the good, yes, but he also wants us to know the bad and the ugly. Here's what it's going to take to be a follower of me, a disciple of me. And so that brings us to the message today. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus? I only have two things for you. Are you ready? (laughs) You don't act like it. Number one, if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ must be the supreme affection of my life. The supreme affection of my life. And Jesus talks about this in verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't know about you, but for the longest time, I really struggled with this verse because it didn't make much sense to me. I couldn't quite figure out what Jesus was talking about. Do you struggle with this verse? <laughs> Do you? Well, you know what? It, it, it's bum fuzzled a lot of people. In fact, I have a book in my, my library that I pulled out and studied this week. It's entitled The Hard Sayings of Jesus. It's by Dr. F.F. F. Bruce. This is not the only hard saying of Jesus. Jesus said some pretty hard things to understand. This is just one of them. What in the world was Jesus talking about when he said, if you don't hate your mom and your dad, your wife and your kids, your brothers and your sisters, you can't be my disciple. What in the world is he talking about? I thought I was supposed to love my family. And Jesus is now telling me, if I'm going to be his disciple, I have to hate them? Really? (laughs) Well, let's try to figure this out, all right? We need a, a good commentary, don't we, that explains this to us? And I have found the best commentary that explains Scripture is Scripture. It really does. You know, this is just side stuff. Don't, don't drift off right here. Bring you back. Side stuff. You can actually take a verse of Scripture out of context and make it say anything you want it to say. You interpret Scripture with Scripture. And so what else does Jesus say about our relationship with our family? Well, he tells us in Matthew chapter 15 that the fifth commandment is still in place. Matthew chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said, For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. So when Jesus is saying in our passage, If one doesn't hate his own family, he cannot be my disciple, he must have had something else in mind here. He must have been talking about something else, and I believe he was. In fact, upon further discovery, I found out that Jesus was really using a rhetorical device of comparison. Ancient teachers used it all the time. They would make a strong statement like this to show a comparison between two extremes. And this is not the only time Jesus did something like this. Jesus said stuff like, in order to live, you must die. Jesus said... In order to have, you must give up. And here he is saying, in order to be my disciple, you must, and what is the word? Hate. Really? Let me just stop right there and talk about the word hate. I I have an image in my mind when I hear hate, don't you? If I say to someone, I hate you, or more specifically, I hate your guts, that really, that really has emphasis there, doesn't it? It means something to me. I, I haven't said that to very many people. The, the one person I probably said it the most to growing up was my sister, Sharita. 
I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate your guts, you know? And then because she was older than me and bigger than me, she had pinned me down, put her knees on my arms, you know, get her fist like this with the old, you know? You know what she'd do next? All the time I'm crying, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I hate your guts, I hate your guts. Mama! You know? And I mean, it means that when we say, I hate you, that, that brings a picture to our mind, doesn't it? Of really despising someone. Well, the actual Greek word that Jesus uses here doesn't really mean that in that kind of sense. What it really means is love less than. Not hate in the terms we think of it. It means love less than. In fact, when Matthew quotes Jesus here in his gospel, this is what he says. Jesus saying, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. And so Jesus is making this shocking statement to cause people to compare their devotion to him and their love for their family. Because Jesus wants to be the most important thing in our life, even above our own family. So here's the point. The point Jesus is making is very simple. We are to love Jesus more than anyone else. To be a disciple of Jesus means that Jesus is the supreme affection of my life. And our commitment and love for Jesus is to be so great and so entirely that in comparison, it's kind of like we don't care about anybody else. Now, here's what I've always said, and I really believe it. God's first. I love Jesus more than anything. Then my wife, then my kids, then my church, and the list goes on. And I think that's accurate. But really what Jesus is saying is this. The way it ought to look on a flow chart is Jesus is all the way up here. I love Jesus up here. And then there's a big space. And then everybody else down here. That's the point Jesus is making. But the comparison doesn't stop there. At the end of verse 26, he goes on to say, If anyone comes to me and does not hate even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, I cannot love my own life more than I love Jesus and be a true disciple. I have to lay it all down, my family and my very life, for him. And by the way, here's the cool thing about all this. You want something cool? Come on, be, be a little quicker than that. You want something cool? Yeah. Here's the cool thing. When Jesus is the supreme affection of my life, I will love my family in a way I could have never loved them without putting Jesus first place in my life. The selflessness that I learn in following Jesus Christ is going to make me a better husband. It's going to make me a better father, a better son, and a better daughter. So church, listen to me. Following Christ is serious business. It means that Jesus has become the supreme affection of my life. I love Jesus more than anyone else. Number two, to be a disciple of Jesus means that Christ is the supreme ambition of my life. 
He goes on to say in verse 27, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, when I say that word cross, you immediately have this vision in your mind of, of what you're thinking. What is a cross to you? Well, for a lot of us, a cross is, is something we wear on a necklace, you know? Uh, Angie used to love crosses on neck. I guess she still does. I bought her so many of them. She's got dozens of them at home, crosses on necklaces, because that's what we, we, we think of that. When we think about a cross, we think about a steeple on top of a church with a cross on it. I think of the crosses we have on the sides of our building here at Cavanaugh Church. That's what we think of when we hear the word, the word cross. Well, in the days of Jesus, when you talked about a cross, you were not talking about an, an ornament for adornment. No, not at all. What you were talking about was an instrument of punishment and an instrument of death. It was something gruesome. We think of a cross as kind of being something cool. It wasn't cool back then. It was gruesome. If you lived in a city like Jerusalem, controlled by the Romans, and you saw somebody carrying a cross through the streets of Jerusalem, you immediately knew where that person was going and what was about to happen to that person. This person was on a one-way trip to a place they would never return. And when the Romans crucified a criminal, that victim was often forced to carry their cross part ways through town to the convict crucifixion site and it was always in clear sight of everyone because the Romans wanted everybody to know what would happen to a person who broke the law and of course this is how Jesus died he was crucified on a cross on Calvary's hill isn't it interesting that in calling people to be his disciples, Jesus would use this image, the image of the cross. I'm sure a marketing expert today would pull their hair out at the thought of trying to get customers to come into their business using this kind of image. Are you with me? Can I tell you a little secret? I have consulted with at least three different church growth experts on how to reach people, how to build churches. One of the first thing all three of these consultants told me is this. Will, what you're going to have to do is really take a long, hard look at your preaching and your preaching style. Number one, the content of your messages. If you want your church to grow and you want to get a lot of people there, you've got to be real selective about what you preach on Sunday mornings. You, you need, to, you need to, to tap into messages that deal with uh, people's emotional needs and, and what, what their hurts are, what their habits are, the things they're going through, and to try to give them count, counsel and guidance on, uh, on how to deal with these things. It's kind of a, a felt need, felt need sermons. That other stuff, that deep stuff, the doctrinal stuff, uh, controversial things, you know, you could teach those on Wednesday nights, but on Sundays... And here's what I said to all three of them. What else you got for me? You know? What else you got to offer? I want our church to grow. Okay? I, I really want this church to grow. I want to reach people for Jesus Christ. But here's one thing we won't compromise on. Okay? God has told me, and he's telling us, we, we've got to deal with the whole counsel of God. 
Some of it's going to feel good, and I love that, man. I love it. I love preaching on, on joy, and I love preaching on, on mending hurting hearts, and, and I love all that relational stuff. But you know what? Sometimes we've got to look at the tough things as well. And th- this is one of the toughest things right here because you know what? Following Christ is serious business. It is very serious business. And, and I think that is the point. Jesus is not after religious customers. Jesus is after passionate followers. In taking up your cross, you are saying, you know what, I am willing to die to self. Christ is the supreme ambition in my life. I am dying to all the other ambitions that I have ever had. Following Jesus is most important. Whatever else comes my way, Jesus Christ is always going to be the highest ambition of my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and a seminary leader in Germany during the Nazi regime. His opposition to Hitler forced him into prison and later it cost him his life. Six years before he died, he wrote this. When Christ calls a man, he bids us Come and die. Now, when I first heard that, when Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and, I think of that song, dine. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. (laughs) Because we're frugal Baptists, we love to eat. It's not what Bonhoeffer's saying. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. Now, guys, I, I don't want you to misunderstand what Jesus is saying, nor what I am saying. We're not talking about sacrificing our way into eternal life. That's just another form of work salvation. So don't make the mistake of thinking that you can't be saved until you make this sacrifice or that sacrifice. Because you can't work your way into salvation. You can't sacrifice enough to be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 goes on to say, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when we come to Christ for eternal life, we come completely by faith. We can't do anything to save ourselves. Jesus Christ made the complete sacrifice for our sins when he died on Calvary's cross. But when we put our faith in Christ, we must recognize he didn't just die to get us out of hell and into heaven. He died and rose again to make us new people who no longer live for our own ambitions and our own agendas. Not at all. What we're living for now is the will of God. Uh, Some of you may remember the name George Beverly Shea. Does that name ring a bell for anybody in this room? Uh, He traveled around with Billy Graham. Is that name familiar? Uh, He's kind of off the scene, younger generation. They don't even know who Billy Graham is, greatest evangelist in our day and time. George Beverly Shea was the guy, he was his sidekick, did all the singing. As a young man, Bev Shea was offered the opportunity to become an opera singer. In fact, he was guaranteed both wealth and fame. 
But he had already felt the call of God into his life, into gospel ministry. And so Bev Shea weighed his options. He prayed about it. And then finally one day he sat down at the piano and he etched out the words of this song that I love so much. Here's what the song says. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That's what it takes to follow Jesus. Church, following Christ is serious business. Now, there are two parables here that Jesus uses to to drive this point home. And the first parable is about a builder getting ready to build a tower. Look at verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough money to complete it or not? So, parable number one. It's going to cost you something to follow Jesus. There are costs involved in following Christ. A a wise person, Jesus is saying, would not start a project without proper planning to know whether or not he had enough to finish the project. What he's talking about is building a tower. Now, probably what Jesus was referring to is a vineyard owner. There are a lot of vineyard owners In Jesus' day. And so if you had a vineyard, what you would typically do is build a tower somewhere on your property where a watchman could be seated and watch the property to make sure no one came in to steal the harvest. An unfinished building standing in your vineyard would be humiliating. And what Jesus is saying is this. There is a price to pay if we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we have to do what Jesus wants us to do, not what we want to do with our life. The desire to build the tower is not enough. You can't just have a desire to do it. You've got to count the cost. Because Jesus goes on to say, you've got to first sit down and estimate the cost. Then in verse 29, for if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it is going to ridicule that man saying, this fellow began to build but wasn't able to finish. And and notice the point Jesus is making. It's not just about starting something, it's about finishing something. Following Jesus is not just a habit that we pick up and dabble with and enjoy for a little bit and then put it down and go do something else. No, There are costs involved in following Jesus. This is a life-altering decision. Changes everything. It's going to cost you to follow Jesus. Anytime I think about something like this, I'm I'm thinking about the story of the the guy who got gloriously saved one day. I mean, this has even happened in my ministry. Guy gets saved one Sunday morning because the preacher's preaching on, you know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves you so much. Jesus died for you. You can have a home. And all you have to do is come and believe. Jesus loves you. He wants to change everything about your life. And he'll write your name in in the Lamb's book of life. And you can go to heaven. Just come and give your heart to Jesus. So the guy came down and he got saved. Thought everything was great. Came back the next Sunday and the preacher was preaching on tithing. Guy says, what's up with this? I like the love stuff and the God giving me stuff. Now you're saying I have to give back? I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. He didn't count the costs. 
I hate to say this because it makes me really sound old, but I've been doing this a long time. I've been here a long time. I can't tell you the number of people I have seen come in, get a little bit of Jesus, dabble in the things of Christ, get involved in the church, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. It got too tough. The going got rough. The cost was too much, and they bailed out. Let me tell you, the road to heaven is littered with fallouts. Jesus wants you to know up front, it's going to cost you to follow him. Why? Because following Christ is serious business. And then he gives this last parable about this king getting ready to go to battle. Verse 31, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And he doesn't have John Wayne as his general. That's not in there, but I, you know. Point number two, parable number two. There are consequences to our choice to follow Christ. He goes on to say in verse 32, If he is not able, will he send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace? Guys, let me tell you, following Christ is serious business. There will be consequences to our decision to follow Christ. Look at me. I'm just going to tell you this with everything I got. This decision to follow Jesus changes everything. The decision to follow Jesus changes everything. It changes my mind. It changes my thinking. It changes the things I look at and don't look at. It changes the conversations I have and the way I talk. Following Jesus changes everything. It changes the way we do business. It changes the way we handle our money. It changes the relationships we have. Following Jesus changes everything. Huge consequences. Sometimes you can't keep the same friends. You may not be able to keep the same job. Following Jesus changes everything. And if that weren't enough, <laughs> listen to what he says in verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything, he cannot be my disciple. This means that we release control of all that we are and all that we have, and we put it into his hands. In other words, we give him the steering wheel of our life, and it's not just that we move to the passenger seat. It means we get in the back seat, and we keep our mouth shut, and we don't tell him where to drive and how fast to go or when to slow down or when to change lanes. He's in control. Of everything. Our lives. Our money. Our time. Th those two little parables have a single message. This is a warning against thoughtless discipleship. Why? Because following Jesus is serious business. And you need to be more deliberate in your choice to follow Jesus 
than anything else. Now, I really don't know why God led me to preach this passage today, but I know he has. Oh, boy, do I, do I know he has. It, 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 it brings me to this, and I've said this so many times to you before. It's one of these continental divides that we have in our life. You know what I'm talking about? It's a big step. It's a big move. And, and this is not just a one-time decision to be a disciple of Jesus. Because life changes. Things change. Situations change. You might be called on tomorrow to affirm that you are a disciple of Jesus like you've never been called on before. And you've, you've, got, to, you've, got, you've got to know, you know what? I am a disciple of Jesus. I've counted the costs. I know there are consequences. But I'm going to step across that continental divide because I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. This may be for you. I was in the vehicle with, with Keenan Polk yesterday and... and uh, conversation came up about Roy Jean. Um, Keenan was raised in Roy Jean's home when he was just a kid until he was a, a grown teenager. And they were a part of this church. Something happened in Roy Jean's life that just shook his world. Keenan said, I'd never seen the man as depressed as he was. And, and he said, he, Roy Jean actually stopped coming to church for a few weeks. He was so depressed, he missed three bass tournaments. Now, if you remember Roy Jean, that was huge. This, this thing that happened in his life rocked his world. And he even stopped coming to church for, for a short time. Keenan said he kept coming to church. He'd get up and get dressed, come to church. And he said one Sunday morning he got up, came to breakfast, and there Roy Jean was. Dressed. Keenan said, you going to church today? Here's what Roy Jean said. I've come too far to turn back now. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That you're not giving up and you're not going back.